how deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure. If you're trying to figure out how to navigate the tricky tightrope of parenting while you have questions, doubts, and wonderings about your spiritual journey, our podcast is for you. It doesn't matter if your kids are smalls, middles, or bigs. We'll explore what and how we're deconstructing from churchianity, harmful belief systems, and diving deep into the ways we can work this out in parenthood. We're also going to work through ideas for reconstructing a space for our families to thrive under new systems of love and freedom. We can't wait to bring you some hope that you're not alone and that it's really okay, even good, to explore all the possibilities that may have felt closed off in the past. Our podcast is going to offer you grace and space to be exactly where you are and who you are. We're really glad you're here and we're excited for today's episode. Listen in. Welcome back to the Deconstructing Mamas podcast. Today we're talking with our dear friend, Jenny Shannon. Hey, Jenny, thanks for joining us today. Hey, ladies, thanks for having me. We're so, so glad you're here. We so love that we get to do this together. Yay. All right, here we go. Mary Oliver has a poem and it starts like this. You don't have to be good. And as we talk to our guest today, and you're going to love it, She's going to dive deep into how that one phrase brought great healing to her broken heart and freed her up to figure out what had been haunting her all her life and what could change. There's a little story about 16-year-old boys that you will not want to miss. But before we go into that, we just want to introduce this wise and gentle soul and our friend Jenny Shannon to you. Jenny, can you tell us just a little bit about yourself and what may have sparked your deconstruction? journey? Sure. Um, Who I am, right? So part of that journey is making sure that you don't align yourself with the roles that you have, but that's really what you're asking me, right? So right, (laughs) um, yeah, I'm a wife. I'm a mom. I have been an English teacher. This is the first year out of 12 that I haven't been in a classroom. I'm also a writer. Other things like musical enthusiast. I was a music major before anything else. I love to cook. I'm a huge avid reader, which you both know, because that's how we met, right? In our book club together. But I think that kind of sums up who I am and what I love. Can you tell us a little bit more about your passion for food? Yeah, this is so, so interesting. I was never a cook. Food was always kind of a hang up for me, body image wise and existing in that space. I never really connected to food. I didn't really know that like food was a communal or collaborative thing until I went to college and I saw all these girls getting together in, um, we had like a residential dorm and they would like get together every Sunday and make dinner together. I loved the way that it drew people in. And I loved the conversations that people felt more comfortable having over the dinner table. My mom was a single mom and she 
is lovely and strong and she raised us incredibly well, but that meant that she didn't have an awful lot of time to perpetuate that ideal, to have a family dinner as often as I probably would have loved to as I was a kid. But as I got older, I just grabbed hold of that concept and that idea that people really are drawn to the table. Even if you're not cooking, people always end up in the kitchen when they come to visit you, right? That's just kind of the heart of where the house is and it's where communication happens. And so I think my love of food was just organic out of my love of communicating with people. Everybody does end up in the kitchen. It's so funny how that happens to me too. It really makes a lot of sense what you're saying about the whole community thing. And I love that. Oh, I love it. So Jenny, what, what started you down your deconstruction journey? Yeah, this is such an interesting question because I think deconstruction means different things to different people right now, right? There's certain stigma that exists when we talk about deconstruction or deconstructionists. And I do think that it just means different things to different people. But what I've really grasped hold of is this concept. Well, first we want to say deconstruction, right? Is a breaking down, breaking down of things for me, that that is how I would interpret it. It's not necessarily a deconversion, right? Which is something that we have discussed, but I think the stigma or the assumption is the latter publicly media wise, by some evangelicals, certainly. There's this idea that if you are deconstructing or you're breaking down your faith, you have deconverted. You have all of a sudden left. That's certainly not the case for me. I can't speak for anybody else. Perhaps maybe that that's where they're coming from and that's fine. But for me, I think those concepts, that idea of something about this theology doesn't sit quite right, or the idea that I can't challenge certain things that I had been presented with in childhood, the certainty of our faith, There are things that are things that we have to accept as truth and we are right, which means that there is a they and they are wrong. So this concept, there is an us against them from the get-go, never settled with me, even as a child. So I don't think I would have called it deconstruction then because I had no idea what I was doing. (laughs) But there was always something in me that felt that if we were really going to live out this life the way that, that I had thought the God that existed intended us to, there wouldn't be an us versus them scenario. So I think it really started early on, but I didn't feel comfortable or confident enough to be vocal about those things until I was like mid thirties. I wasn't able to recognize what those things were or even feel as though I had the vocabulary to approach those things with integrity or with grace, because I do think there's a lot of vitriol about the whole thing. There's a lot of back and forth between, and again, there's this us and them, right? Clear demarcation that I really have fought against as I've deconstructed as a grown up to be able to know that we can sit down and discuss things intellectually and thoughtfully and respectfully, no matter where we've come from. I love that. I just recently saw this video that the Naked Pastor had posted. I know you guys know the Naked Pastor, but for those who don't, he is a writer and he's an artist and talks a lot about just deconstruction and inclusion and how Jesus is inclusive. He just posted this video and it was like how to deconstruct and he just held up like pieces of paper, right? And it was like one, fill in the blank, two, fill in the blank, three, (laughs) fill in the blank. Like you've done it. So I love what you're saying about deconstruction. 
for a lot of us, deconstruction isn't like a conversion or a loss of faith. It's actually this desire to know God on a deeper level without all of like the theological baggage. And for some, that means they've left the faith and that's what's best for them and that's what's good for them and that's what's healing for them. But I love this idea that deconstruction is what it needs to be for you. Mm. Deconstruction, it's, it's really a healing. It's a yeah. healing, it's a cleansing, and it's different for every single person. And it's not a landing place, right? Like right. we call it like right. a journey for a reason. Like you're going to have seasons. And I think that's really important for people to know. Once you start exploring what the tenets of your faith were or what you had accepted as truth as childhood, and now you have some doubts about that and you want to question that there are seasons of what that journey looks like. There's like an angry season, right? I'm going to be angry because the church taught me this and it was wrong or members of the church taught me this and this was wrong, or they believed this and it made me feel this way about myself and other people. And we, we need to be able to blame something and someone in our anger season. And I do think that that comes back once in a while. And I don't think anger is bad. I think that it definitely motivates us to continue to look for ways to grow. But I don't think that we can stay there. And in order to, to like achieve the growth that we're looking for, there are seasons and they're going to come back just like grief, right? We, we can't graduate from grief when something happens in our life that grieves us. Like there's no time limit or period on it. There's no time limit or period on deconstruction. I love that there's not. Um, and I do think that people have to be encouraged in that, you know, like the place or the season that you're sitting in right now is not the place or the season you'll be sitting in in six months. Those things may come back and return, but you're going to have a whole different skill set and toolbox of how to deal with those things moving forward. I love that you just said that. When you were talking about the anger piece, how true is that even in the process of grief, right? And we know that anger is one of the first stages of grief. And it's actually a great tool for us all as we deconstruct, like whatever we're breaking down, whether it's toxic religious systems or harmful beliefs from our families of origin or whatever. Anger shows us, well, it shows me that my boundaries have been crossed and like what I'm hearing and seeing feels really, really wrong. Like, I would say that I'm kind of far along, if that's even a thing, on this journey away from harmful beliefs, and I'll still hear something and it will trigger me. And to coin a phrase, it pisses me off. And I'm like, oh my goodness, like, where did that come from? But then instead of dismissing it like I was taught all my life, I just go with it and say, okay, like, what's up with that? And often it reminds me why I'm walking down this path away from whatever I'm actually angry about. So I love that. Yeah. For a lot of people, there's trauma responses that come from experiences that they've had as children. And that's the same with things that we've experienced in terms of like theological ideology. There's trauma wrapped up in that for a lot of people. And there's these triggers and responses that happen. You're like, wow, that came out of nowhere. I thought I was over that. But, you know, your body remembers. It's true in this scenario as well, just as it is in like any other kind of scenario. But I know, Jenny, we've talked about a lot of different things, but what really made it hard for you to deconstruct from the traditional 
evangelical theologies that kind of known your entire life. Sometimes, at least I have felt that there's sort of like this misunderstanding or sort of like, oh, she's just leaving it behind and off she goes. And there's more to it than that. There's mourning, there's grieving. Can share a little bit about some of the things that have been hard about deconstructing. Yeah. I think once you are brought up and raised in a certain way, even the thought of making a detour from that is complicated. When you're like brought up in an evangelical church, your church family is your family. It's like the extension of who you are. And it certainly was for us. I was taught that way. And I think part of those tenants are good and they're beautiful that you build and invest into a community. When I began to consider, well, first of all, I, I want to just be clear that I left. I left the church for a long time. Um, my husband and I had a big marital crisis um, that kind of forced me to really look at things for myself for really the first time as an adult. I got married at 22, which is hardly being a grown up <laughs> at that time. I had never lived on my own by myself. I got married as a senior in college. And so all of a sudden I was kind of forced with this, this moment or season in time where I really had, I'm going to use the word opportunity to look at who I am myself, just me and what I actually believed and what was serving me and what was not. And I could not make that decision while being committed or dedicated to the church as a whole, because it was so much a part of who we were as a couple. It was so much a part of who I was as a child. I felt like I had to make that clear line of debarkation to remove myself from that moment. So in that moment, like when we're talking about like the anger moment, I was not afraid to leave at that point. I was like, bye. <laughs> Peace out. Yeah. I'm done for a little while. Cause I, I need to figure that out. But just like as we're talking, the most difficult part was to consider losing a support system and a family that we had cultivated together, that we had invested in. We were godparents to people's children and we oh. were leaders together. There was like a litany, a decade of students that we had poured into who are still adopted family, but I wasn't really sure how that would communicate or land. And I have had evangelical leaders who have poured into my life beautifully, who I don't have any trauma from, who loved and supported me mm. without question, who taught me that God was inclusive, who really set the bar and examples in evangelical circles where they were the outliers. I learned from them and I was afraid that me being vocal and stepping back and reevaluating would communicate to them that I didn't appreciate who they were. So it was less like, this is going to be difficult at Thanksgiving <laughs> you know, <laughs> to communicate than it was. It was so hard for me as an empath to even entertain the thought that someone would be hurt by my learning mm -hmm. about who I was. You make a really good point because it's not really an all or nothing scenario. I think that, again, is a common misconception of deconstruction, that you're just like, peace to the church, you know, and you're out. Yeah. Um, but it's hard because there's good and bad, just like in any other scenario. Sure. I know that there are people who have left the church and are deconstructing the church, and there's just a lot of pain, a lot of trauma, a lot of hard stuff for them. Yeah. 
but not for everyone. I too have some really positive moments with my church families from the past. My husband and I just made a decision to leave the church that we were attending for many years and we're kind of looking for where we're landing right now. There were so many people there that I loved. They walked me through some really hard mental health stuff. So you're not throwing the baby out with the bathwater per se, but it does get hard when you start to question and start to wonder you do lose relationships. That's the reality of it. You might not lose all of them, but you are going to lose some of them. And that's just really, really hard. And you don't know who those people are going to be. And so you're really taking a risk. You're, you're stepping off of a cliff. It's so interesting that you say that, Liz, because I feel that so often. And I was thinking about what you said, Jenny, right at the beginning where you said you grew up with the us-them mentality and that you viewed your church as your family. And I know like in the evangelical churches where I grew up, we called each other brothers and sisters in Christ, right? Yeah. So there is this very familial bond and that like perpetuates the us-them thinking. I know for me, when I realized that I was going to be the them now, that I'm going to be on the them side of the us-them equation, I was horrified and it was so difficult. It's almost like being shunned from a family. And you know what? That's probably what kept me in it for so long. I don't want to be on the outside of this group. And I remember how often I was part of that. Yeah. I labeled lots of people them when they asked questions or they left our church. And now here I am having to deal with the same judgment that I heaped on others. It's really powerful. And I think that us them mindset does keep people trapped. I know it did for me for a long time. And it wasn't until I got to the point where I was actually okay with being the them part of the equation that I freed myself up to leave what was no longer good for me. And one other thing that happened is that I've just had to get on board with the idea that I belong to myself and to God and no one, no church, no group, no quote unquote family, nobody can ever take that away from me. Yeah, I, I think for me, it just came down to the realization that humanity is not binary, like I was taught. Right. It was. That not only is it possible, but that's how we were created is to hold both things together. Right. Like joy and sorrow come together, right? That they are good and bad that come together. Why would we ever think it would be different with humans? It was a really long process to unpack that narrative of that we are somehow good and we are saved or we are worthy chosen or worthy elect or whatever phraseology that is comfortable for you and how you were brought up in. But that it's that it's not binary. It's not, it's not black and white the way that I had thought it was. And at first that was terrifying because black and white thinking is really safe. Yeah something is right and someone is wrong. Yes. And if you land on the right side, then people like me with generalized anxiety disorder and OCD are like, I'm right. I'm good. <laughs> I can check off the boxes, right? Like my checking behaviors are like, yep. Okay. I did this. I read my Bible. I prayed. I called someone who was in need of ministry. And so I am of my duties today and I can be good. I needed that. So like, I needed that in my life because I needed to be good. And then all of a sudden, when I was like, oh, wait, but people who are good do terrible things. What am I going to do with that now? I don't know. Okay. I wasn't really sure. And that brings us back to the very first thing that I read from Mary Oliver. 
you don't have to be good. How would that have sounded to you in your 20s? And then now, how does that sound to you? And perhaps even as a mom raising your girls, how does that sound? Yeah, I would have straight up rejected that in my 20s. <laughs> I would have been like, this woman is some woohoo, new age, whatever. <laughs> like I, that is from the devil. I would not have brought it in the house. Please forgive me, Mary Oliver, rolling over in her grave. But yeah, that's just the truth. It would not have been a thing to have given myself permission. And I just want to be clear that part of that is me and my personality too. Yes, a lot of that had to do with the constructs and the systems that I was brought up and raised in. Mm-hmm. Half, like 50% of it. And the other 50% is me and my genetic makeup and my DNA and my mental health issues and concerns that I really needed to get on lock and get into therapy for. All of those things together was a really bad cocktail of me believing that I had to behave like a good girl and my persona or my perception of what that would be, would be one, you know, that would follow the rules and who would do all of the good things and check the boxes. So at at 22, if someone told me you didn't have to be good. I'd be like, then what the hell am I doing with my life so far? Like my whole life is geared toward being good, like being a good wife and being a good Christian and being a good teacher and being a good neighbor. And it was exhausting. It was just really exhausting. I never had anyone tell me that I didn't have to be. And I think that's the bottom line and how it has changed like my inner dialogue for myself and how I speak to my daughters and that no one ever looked at me and they're like, you don't have to be good behaviorally. Like we have this perception of goodness, right? We are good inside. We have goodness, but you don't have to behave or perform in a way that people's perception of you is like the sum of your worth. I think that's really what it is. My worth was so built upon people's perception of how well I was doing. Did I do a good job? Are you proud of me? So when I had read Wild Geese is the poem by Mary Oliver and her first line is, you don't have to be good. I was a teacher in a private boarding school of almost all boys at the time. My husband and I were separated and I had two little kids and I had no idea what I was doing with my life. I just sold out the house that I loved and that I thought we would grow old in. And I was living in a two bedroom apartment, dropping my kids off at daycare by myself. And it was awful. It was just an awful time. I didn't know what was going to happen. And so I just like walked in, I teach AP lit and I'm like, I I can't do barn burning today. Like today's not a Faulkner day. (laughs) I can't handle it. So let's just read some poems, literally Googled. What is some appropriate poems that teenage boys aren't going to break apart that I'm not going to have to explain later. And wild geese came up and I stood in front of the classroom and I read the first two lines. You don't have to be good you know, you don't have to walk a thousand miles on your knees in the desert repenting. Mm. And I could cry now. Like I just like lost it. I had like 26 boys in the classroom and they were like, (laughs) (laughs) okay, what is happening right now? Like, I'm like, I'm having a moment. So somebody else has to read it. Mm. And then I had like 16 year old boys stand up and read the rest to me. And to have that impact of having young men read a poem back to me that I didn't have to be good and I can stop repenting from things that I didn't do wrong was so healing. 
I still talk to two of them today. They're in their twenties. They graduated from college. They still are like, so Shani, remember when you cried in like the middle of class? <laughs> yes. I guess I remember. <sighs> I remember forever. But it was such a strong, holy moment for me. Like, oh, I'm okay. I'm okay as I am. I'm okay if I return to church. I'm okay if I don't. I'm allowed to love the experiences that I had there. And I'm allowed to have these PTSD moments of, I don't think I'm ever going to make it there again. Whatever I am, I'm allowed. I have permission Mm. to be who I am and I don't have to be good. Mm. That freedom is amazing. And I think that when we start to separate the freedom to just be who we are without judgment. I mean, if we're talking about where you're coming from, you know, you sort of grow up with this idea that Jesus loves you, but here's the rules that you need to follow to stay in check and to make sure that you're on the path to becoming more like Christ. And, you know, there's all these sort of like Christian buzzwords, this freedom to really just like be free to be yourself and explore and know you and let the journey unfold. That feels so much more like Jesus to me and so much Mm. more congruent with my own soul Mm. than any of that other stuff. Agreed. Jenny, when you were saying those first two lines again of that poem, even here recording the podcast, something inside of me broke. Like, like, wow, the power when you hear something and your brain switches gears. Like, I've believed this my whole life and I've conducted myself based on this belief. And I've taught my kids this. And all of a sudden there's like a breaking down a deconstructing, quote unquote, and a breaking apart. And I love what Emily P. Freeman says. Perhaps we can even view it as a breaking open to newfound ideas, freedom. And it's like, whoa, you mean I am allowed to think differently and I can conduct my life differently, be in friendships differently, raise my kids differently? And I don't don't know, something inside of me broke when you said those words today. Maybe I was channeling you as a 16-year-old boy. So incredibly powerful. And it was like a sigh for my soul. And I say that all the time. It's like a long, deep breath for my soul when I have permission to think differently. Right. And I think when you accept that for you, all of a sudden it opens that up for everybody else. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I am 100% positive that if I didn't accept that for me and I didn't start on this journey, we would never have healed our marriage the way that we did. Mm-hmm. Because if I don't have to be good, right? And if I don't have to crawl on my knees in the desert repenting, then nobody else has to either. And There is nothing more Christ-like to me than that. Nothing. That if I don't have to be good, no one has to be good. None of us are good and all of us are good. Right. (laughs) What a crazy dichotomy that we are allowed to hold. Like that's such an incredible gift to know that for yourself. And once you're able to accept that for yourself, know that that is so true for other people. You can't not make it true for other people. 
Right. Yeah. It's not this right wrong game. And I was even just thinking like, I'm going through my deconstructing journey. And as I'm raising two little kids, you have a four year old who she already, I see this sort of like perfectionism in her. Mm -hmm. um, just like I always was, I always was a perfectionist. I always wanted to do the right thing. And like you said, Jenny, I think that that was just something that I was sort of born into me and then was sort of like, it kind of snowballed. Yeah. Um, but I think, wow, like if Lila has that just as a part of her being, and then if that was paired with some of the theologies and ideologies that I was raised with, yeah, how damaging, like how completely damaging mm -hmm. for her little soul would that be? It's just really, it's eye-opening, this good, bad, like you said, yeah. this dichotomy, like when you are able to just let that go and just say to yourself and to others, oh, you can just be who you are. And that's not an excuse, right? That's not an excuse to not be working on things or working on yourself, but it's just freedom to be open to your journey. And like you said, be open to anger when there's anger, be open to whatever it is that you need to feel or you need to work through and not mm. having to label it as right. anything but just the journey that you're on and the place that you're in. I love that idea that we have permission to hold space for both the good and the bad inside of us. And then that gives us permission to hold that same space for others. My daughter, who is very much like you, Jenny, will be coming on the podcast in just a few weeks. And she was that little girl who wanted to be good. And then that was reinforced everywhere, like church and school and home, like everywhere. Yeah. And the harm that came to her as a result was devastating in many ways. And she will share her continuing story of redemption when she comes on. But the good news is that Lila and Jenny, your girls, that does not have to be a part of the narrative. They don't have to have it coming from all angles. In your home, you guys can say, actually, no, honey, you're already good. You do bad things sometimes, but you are good. And I'll, I'll tell you guys a funny story about my grandson and our dog. I was watching him and the two of them were playing one day and our dog swiped at Broden and scratched him. And when he was relaying the story to his mom later, he said, Lady is a bad dog. Now his mom is trying to not reinforce that narrative. So she quickly said, actually, she's a good dog. She just made a bad choice. And he thought for a second and then said, no, mommy, she's a bad dog. <laughs> and what it showed me, even though we couldn't help but laugh, was that it's almost hardwired in us, this all good or all bad mindset. Right. I think the important thing too for, you know, if you're a parent and you're listening is this idea that you as a parent also don't have to be perfect. You just do your best most of the time. I do not get it right a lot, but I do get it right sometimes and that's enough. And, you know, I see Lila playing with her dolls and she's, she has these messages that she's saying to her dolls and, you know, and I'm like, Oh my gosh, she's getting it. Like she's getting it. And I'm impatient. I am all of these human things that we all are and not getting it right a lot of the time. But when you have that journey that you're taking inside of yourself, it mm -hmm. automatically translates to your relationships. You know, sometimes I'm really, really intentional, but most of the time I'm just living and surviving, but it's still, it's still transferring. 
So I feel like this honesty to be yourself and this honesty to let your kids know, like, that you're human too also makes a big difference. Yeah. Yeah. And we talked about that too, I think with my, with my dad, I wish I would have known that he was deconstructing because now that we've talked about it during this time when faith made not a lot of sense to me, but I was trying to walk the tightrope, he was also there, but I didn't see that being honest with our kids and just being human beings with our kids mm -hmm. is a lot of times enough. And they see that and they pick up on that. Yeah. I'm always paranoid that there's like, <laughs> what do we teach them now? <laughs> right. You know, like, I'm not really sure. What do we say about that? And, and I think that there are going to be certain circumstances where that will be challenged or they will ask as they grow, you know, like, well, how do we feel about this? How are we going to approach this? But there's just been so much beauty and freedom and being like, I have no idea. And it's okay not to know. And it's okay to feel like we know yesterday and today we feel like we know nothing. And that's okay to say out loud. Coming up from like this this is what we know. This is what is truth. This is what I will pass down to you in the hope that you will be saved, you know, Yes. rather than that narrative to just like, I don't know all of that. This is what I know. When we see love, that is God. Mm -hmm. When we see justice, that is God. When we see mercy, that is God. When we see forgiveness, that is God. When we see beauty, that that is God. When we see joy, those things are God. And that is what I know. Like those are the truths of what I know. And I feel like I can sleep at night if I have communicated that to them once a day. And the rest is open for discussion, right? We have this open door policy, let's talk about it. I love what Glennon Doyle says, that as we become free, everyone else becomes free around us. There's just no other way for it to happen. Oh, I love this conversation and I hate that it's ending. So before we go though, Jenny, since you're a lit teacher, can you give us one book that sort of helped you on your spiritual journey? Can we get a fiction and a nonfiction? Like I'd also, sure. I need a fiction also. I read all the things, but I will be completely open and honest with you that my like escapist genre is anything fantasy. Like, I want a sexy female protagonist who will kill all the dragons. That's what I want. All the <laughs> I'm in. I'm all in. I've been falling asleep to Audible books recently. Okay. And I've been reading the Veronica Speedwell novels. Oh, yeah. Okay. Do you know those? They're on my list, but I haven't gotten there yet. Okay. They're really good. Okay. But like just what you were describing, I was like, Oh, so Sarah Moss wrote, it's called the throne of glass series. And I love it. Female protagonist, like secret queen, but assassin kills all the thing. And I'm like, yes, love it. That's my escapist genre for sure. All right. Writing it down. What about the nonfiction book? So the nonfiction book that has really shaped how I perceive the world and like my space in it is braiding sweetgrass but robin wall kimmerer native american author and braiding sweetgrass is about i mean it's really connecting like this spiritual idea with science she's a scientist she's an environmental scientist and uh, she just speaks from this place of talking about what the world is as far as the gift economy is concerned we're in this consumer economy always it just felt so applicable to church as well. And um, that we are, we're consumers and that we just kind of like take things and things cost things, et cetera. But she 
presents the world or the earth as a way that we have been given certain gifts, the gift of, of each other, the gift of the earth, and speaks about them all in such a beautiful spiritual way that we were made to share the gifts of each other and that the earth gives us gifts and that we were made to give them back to other people, that it just really framed how my whole, like, you are good <laughs> or you don't have to be good journey. And it it was just really beautiful. So I would probably suggest that um, as one of the ones that had shaped me. Yeah. I love yeah. that because that's one I actually haven't heard of. It's always beautiful to find new books. It is. Yeah. Yeah. So Jenny, I know you're a writer. So can you tell people where they can find you? Yeah, absolutely. I'm in a few different spots. I'm on Instagram and Facebook, uh, both under my name. Uh, I go by my maiden name, Vanderberg, because it was too hard to change over everything. <laughs> Instagram, I am Jen Van Shan. On uh, Facebook is my author page. I also do a newsletter. It's on Substack. It's called Eat My Words, based upon the book that I've been writing the last Yay! few years or so. That's really what I write about. Eat my words is a concept of how I have been essentially theoretically eating my words the last five years, but also how my connection to food has really helped me in this deconstruction journey. And so that's the tenor of what I write about, I write about faith, family, food, and my experiences with all of those. You can also find me at the She Interviews. That's a platform for working women that my partner Jess and I started a couple years ago. We're on Instagram under the She Interviews and on Facebook under the She Interviews as well. Thanks. And thank you so much for coming on. This was so fun. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Thanks, Jenny. We yeah. love you. Have a great rest of your day. Well, that's it for this episode on the Deconstructing Mamas podcast. We love that you tuned in and hope that this gave you a little bit of grace and space for your soul to breathe. Don't forget to catch up on any of our episodes that you missed. And remember to follow us on Instagram and Facebook at The Deconstructing Mamas. That's where you'll find all the information that you need about the podcast, as well as on both of our websites, EstherJoyGets.com and ElizabethPetters.com, as well as our brand new website, DeconstructingMamas.com. If you would like to support the podcast, please leave us a review where you listen and especially tell others about the show. Thanks for listening and come back again for our next episode. We can't wait to be on the other side of your headphones.